Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We have been talking about legacy, and I've been giving some thought to, to that subject And uh, last Sunday, uh, as I was walking into church, I I park over here in this parking lot on this side and come in there through the doors by the nursery. As I was walking in, uh, greeting people, seeing friends, and and just catching up with different folks, I was just past the nursery, and I was looking ahead, maybe 10 feet ahead of me. Going up the steps was a dear friend, Mike Mahoney, was walking up the steps, and uh, and I saw that right behind Mike, just a step or two, was his daughter, Angie. And Angie was going up the steps behind her dad and her family, her children. Uh, her teenage sons were, were coming behind. And uh, some of the boys had come over to give me a hug. And we were greeting one another. And I looked up and Angie had caught up with her dad and was giving him a hug. And they were walking into church together. And I just thought to myself, what a legacy. What a legacy, a dad, a daughter, grandchildren, serving God, coming to church together, worshiping together. And as soon as I had that thought, I was reminded that that's not really where it all began. For those of you who know the story, Miss Pat Mahoney uh, had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ in the early 70s. And when she met Jesus, her life literally changed. She went from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. I mean, she was all in from the very beginning. And she set about immediately to begin to pray and intercede for her husband and for her five sons. And she began to pray, and one by one, they began to come to the Lord. And each of them had an encounter with Jesus that transformed their lives. I'm not saying it happened in the next week. It didn't. For some of them, it took years. I'm not saying that it was easy and that life was always pleasant. But I'm telling you, she grabbed hold of the verse of Scripture where, where the, the word says that we will be more than conquerors, that we will triumph always through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. She held on to that. She prayed. She sought God until every one of them had given their hearts to the Lord and were serving Jesus. They're all married now. They all have their own children and some of them grandchildren, many of them. There's a total of 72 in that clan now who know Jesus and are serving the Lord and following God, some of them in in full-time ministry, pastoring. And and I, I was just sharing with her afterwards. I said, you know, that 72, that's a significant number. That was a number Jesus used. He sent out 72 to preach the gospel and to take the good news. And I just want to tell you, I don't know where you are in the journey with your family. Maybe you're praying for loved ones, for descendants, for children or grandchildren. And, and I don't know where they are, but I'm telling you this, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Continue to trust God. Continue to to bombard heaven and to cry out for those that you love. And then as I was thinking about that amazing story of legacy, I, I... I almost didn't want to share this because there are so many stories in this building that I could share and I don't want to leave anyone out. But as I was driving to church this morning, I was just reminded all over again, I come down Nelson Canal and where it dead ends into Admiral Doyle, I take a left and come to church. As I was turning left, 
Riding there on the, on the shoulder of Admiral Doyle was Gerald, and I'm, his last name slips my mind right now. Gerald was on his bike riding to church, just like he does every Sunday morning. He comes to the early service, so some of you might not know him. Not only does he ride his bike to get here on Sunday morning to be in church, I've been at the the men's Bible study uh, downtown uh, on Thursday mornings when they gather at 6.30 in the morning, and Gerald is there parking his bike. And I just want to tell you something, folks. If people ask you what church you go to, you can tell them, I go to the church where people ride their bikes to get there because they don't want to miss being in the house of God with the family of God, hearing the word of God that is preached to them. I tell you, I don't know what the crowd would look like this morning if we had no gas and if the only way we had to get to church was to start off walking from our house to get here or ride a bike. But I know who'd be here. I know Gerald would be here and he'd be at that door greeting people and welcoming people. I want to tell you folks, the more something costs, the more you value it. And, and I am thankful to belong to a church where people will pay a price to come and to be here and be a part. Uh, you know, there are, there are these legacies. And as I was thinking about the different family legacies, uh, I, I was reminded of some study that I had done years ago about Jonathan Edwards. He was a famous American theologian born in 1705 and uh, died in 1758. Uh, He was an incredible man of God, a pastor. Someone did uh, a study on his descendants. As as I was reading this article, uh, they talked about him as a pastor and him as a theologian. And uh, he lived in New York. He was a Christian. He believed in Christian training. And the next line was significant. It said this, he married a girl of like character. And I thought, boy, that is powerful. He was very, very careful as to who he chose to link his life to. And together, and really the greater part was probably her because he was, he was an itinerant pastor and many times he was away and she raised their 11 children. And the descendants from this family, just listen to this legacy, the descendants from these people who believed the word of God and what it has to say about training our children and our Our grandchildren says this, 729 descendants were studied. Of this number, out of this 729, there were 300 preachers, 65 college professors, 13 university presidents, 60 authors, three United States congressmen, and one vice president of the United States of America. That is, that's quite a legacy. And it was a legacy that began when a man and a woman took God at his word and took seriously their responsibility to teach and to train. It, the, the results, they left up to God. But it was their responsibility to teach and to train, and they took that responsibility seriously. They, they applied themselves. And I, I would say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that we have that same responsibility to pass on the baton of our faith to the next generation. And I'd like to just take two portions of scripture and, uh, and, and share some thoughts with you today. If you want to turn to them, you can. The first is Deuteronomy chapter 6. The second is Psalm 78. Deuteronomy chapter, well, actually there's three portions of scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 2 Timothy 3, and then Psalm 78. And those three portions of scripture, I just want to take a few minutes and talk to you from that. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to begin in verse 7, and this is the word of the Lord, okay? This is the word of the Lord. Moses is speaking to Israel. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Now, this is interesting to me because this portion of scripture, we're going to get to the next verse in just a minute, but this portion of scripture talks out not saying, get a notebook for each of the kids, be sure they have a pen or pencil, get your lesson plan ready, get everybody to sit down, pay attention, be quiet and be still, and you begin to teach them five steps about this and three steps about that, and you teach them the truth. That's not what he says. The very first thing he says is this. You need to understand that your children are going to do what you do, not what you say. That's the first thing he says. And so as he addresses them, look how he starts off. Verse 5, you must love the Lord. Don't you dare tell your kids they need to love God until you love God. You love the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all of your passion, with all of your soul, with all your intellect, with all of your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. This is not a part-time endeavor. This is not something we compartmentalize and dedicate two hours on a Sunday morning to. This is not something we do, you know, around the holiday season, Christmas and Easter. No, this is every day, all day long, 24, 7, 365 days a year. This is something we are wholeheartedly involved in. We embrace these commands that he is giving this day. Then look, he says in verse seven, repeat them again and again to your children. Take this truth and repeat it over and over and over and over. And he's not saying drive them crazy with boredom. He's just saying, and and we're going to get to it. He says in every different scenario in life, your spiritual life should be as ordinary as talking about the weather. You talking about God and what he's doing in your life and the things he's speaking to your heart about and the promises that he's dropped into your heart you're believing God for and, and giving God thanks for his goodness, his grace, his mercies, his provision, health, everything. It should be your everyday normal walking around life. It should not be just set aside for some compartment in your life. You are to repeat this again and again and again and again. Again, your kids need to hear it. Anybody who's ever raised toddlers know that you go through that stage where you're trying to put them to sleep and so you read storybooks to them. And I would just suggest that the Bible is an incredible book filled with wonderful stories that instead of just learning nursery rhymes or uh, you know about big purple dinosaurs, your kids need to learn some true stories about uh, Adam and Eve and about Joshua and the walls of Jericho and about Jonah and the whale and about about Abraham and Isaac and about David and Goliath and, and about Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. Those are incredible stories. And he said, we need to teach them over and over and over. And anybody who's put a toddler to bed knows that you're just praying for that time when they will finally run out of energy and go to sleep. And you're sitting there and you're reading the story to them and you're looking at the words with one eye and with the other eye, you're watching them and their eyelids get heavy. And then they, finally they, they slam shut one or two times and then they close and then you hear them get into that rhythmic breathing and it gets a little bit deeper and you very quietly close the book and you get up and you tiptoe 
over to the door and you think, oh, oh, this is great. We're gonna have some time alone tonight. And as you pull the door closed, you hear that little voice say, daddy, you didn't read the last part. Daddy, you left out that part in the middle where so-and-so did this and said that. And children, I think, want to hear the same story over and over and over and over. They are looking for a foundation, something that does not change. They hunger for stability. They hunger knowing that the story is going to start the same. It'll be the same in the middle and the ending will be the same. And the only book I know that can promise that is this book right here. Because it's written by the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. His word is settled in heaven. It will never change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will remain the sure foundation. So he says, say this again and again to your children. Talk to them. Talk to them. Don't just put on, you know, a teacher voice and and preach at them. Talk to them. Talk to them. Make it a part of your daily life. Let your spiritual life become the matrix that you use to talk about ordinary things of life, like the weather and job and school and all of those things. He says, talk to them. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. And ladies and gentlemen, in other words, what he's talking about is not something we do as much as it is someone that we are. It becomes a part of our life. This is our calling to hand the baton of our faith off to the next generation, whether it's our physical offspring at home or whether it's in the context of the church and we're encouraging other believers, some maybe new believers, some maybe not yet believers, some maybe who have been serving God for a while, but we're sharpening each other's sword as iron sharpens iron. So let me just turn your attention very quickly to the New Testament and let's look at the Apostle Paul and how he he accomplished this, one of the ways that he does this with his spiritual son, Timothy. Now, before we begin to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, you can go ahead and, and just get there and get ready. 2 Timothy chapter 3, a lot of people think, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so diligent because we're so busy worrying about our, our world today, worrying about our nation and worrying about our culture. And there are a lot of things that are going on and, and not all of them are good. And we're, you know, some, it seems at times like some of the foundations are crumbling. And so, you know, we've got to worry because if we don't worry, who's going to worry? And so we need to, we need to worry about something some of these things. And I want to tell you, instead of worrying, we need to be busy about the kingdom of God. And Paul, just before he goes into detail about how he is training and passing that baton off to his spiritual son, he describes the very world, the very culture that you and I are living in today. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be... Uh, puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So he's saying, even in 
difficult times, even when times are difficult economically or, or culturally in our, in our nation. These, this describes many of the things that are taking place in our culture here today. But that, that just encourages us to press on a little harder with, the, with the, 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 the things that God has placed in our heart to do. So he says this, 2 Timothy, let's drop down a few verses to verse 10. 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. And he goes on about all the things you know about. Essentially, what Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you know all about me. You know all about me, my life, my relationship with God, my salvation from darkness into light, God's call on my life, my ministry. You're familiar with all of these things. I talk about, I've talked about it to you. I talk about it to other people. Uh, That part of my life is not hidden away in the privacy of a closet, uh, you know, that nobody really knows about. I live my life in the light, out in the open, every day, every night. I'm the same person when I'm preaching as I am when I'm talking to you as I am when I'm eating supper with my friends. I'm the same all the time. And essentially what Paul is saying, Timothy, you know all about me. You know all about me. And he starts off by by saying, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. I have a question for you. My question for you is this. What do your children know about you? What do your children know about you? And I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not talking about do your children know uh, where you were born or what your favorite food is or where you went to school, but I'm talking primarily about your spiritual life. I'm speaking, I'm speaking to moms and dads here today, but I, I want to take a minute and I, I really want to drill down dads. Dads, this is important stuff here. And, and it, it's, it's, it's for moms and dads, but I want to say it's really for dads. It's, it's really for dads. What do your kids know about what's going on in your spiritual life right now? At the end of your life, what do you want your children and grandchildren to know about you? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, I want to read from the NSV. Verse 10 and 11, look at this. Paul says, you, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith. Look, look at all of the personal pronouns here. Look at all the personal pronouns. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. You know all about my teaching. And what he's saying is it's personal. It is personal. It's not, he's not just saying, Timothy, you know all about the Old Testament stories. You know all about Moses and how he gave the law. And you know what the Ten Commandments, it's not what he's saying. He's not even saying, Timothy, you're familiar with the, the, the teaching of the apostles. You're, you're familiar with the teaching of, of Peter and James and John and, and what's going on in the churches. You're familiar with the day of Pentecost and how that happened and uh, there in Jerusalem. He's not even saying that. He's not even saying that. He makes it very personal. You know all about my teaching. And can I just say to you, ladies and gentlemen, your children will learn. If you bring them to church, they will learn what the church believes but they desperately need to know what you believe. 
they will learn that the church believes that there's a heaven and a hell. But let me tell you something, Dad, when you tell your children that you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, that impacts them in a completely different way. Of a completely different way. When kids and the younger you start, the better it is, but it is never too late. Never. But I'm telling you that when kids know this is what my dad believes, that carries weight. That carries a lot of weight. It carries weight when their mom says it. And when mom and dad have that synergy going and the two of them are saying, this is what we believe. This is what our family has embraced. This is what we believe. It is powerful. I want to ask you this. Do your children know what you believe? Do they know what you believe about God? Do they know what you believe about God? Do you believe that God is omnipotent? Do you believe that God is omniscient, that God is everywhere present at once, that God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, that there's no place you can go and get away from his presence? Do you believe that? Or is your view of God the kind of view that, oh, you better be careful because if you mess up one little bit, God's going to get you. It's important that you tell your kids what God is like, what his nature is like, that you relay your experience with God, God's mercy in your life, God's long suffering in your life, God's patience in your life, and that you relate that to your children. Do you, have you told your children what you believe about creation? Because if you haven't, I promise you, there are schools that are waiting to tell them that a billion or two years ago that there was some goo that, that appeared in a cosmic explosion and out of that came a, an amoeba that eventually grew arms and legs and, and stood up and walked and started shaving and that's where you came from. And when you die, it's nothing but lights out. There's nothing after, after the life that we're living now. It's important that you sit down and tell, you think about it. We teach our children how to tie their shoes. We teach them how important it is to brush their teeth, how important it is to eat vegetables and have a healthy diet. It is more important because we're talking about eternity that they hear not just from the church, not just from the Christian school, the responsibility lies upon the parents. Dads, you need to have a talk with your kids, not just a talk, a continuing lifetime of communication about the things that are most important. We're talking about a legacy. That legacy of 72 descendants serving Jesus, sitting together on several rows, worshiping together, that doesn't happen by accident. That is very intentional, very purposeful. That happens because people say, here's what Jesus did for me. Here's the truth of what he can do for you. I'm praying that you'll come to the place where you will uh, accept Jesus into your life and heart. And they spend their days and their weeks and their months praying and crying out to God that they would see all of those come to know Jesus. You need to tell your children, do they know what you believe about Jesus? Do they know what you believe about Jesus? Do they know what you believe about the virgin birth? Because I promise you there are going to be people that will laugh and scoff at them when that subject comes. Virgin birth, ha, ha, ha. Is that really what you believe? You need to tell your children the truth about God's word. You, you need to let them know. Do you have, have you shared with them why Jesus died, that he died to pay the penalty for every wrong thing I've ever done, for every wrong thought I've ever had, for every, everything that I've ever taken that didn't belong to me, that 
that he came to pay the price for all of my sin and the accumulated sin of the world so that we could have his righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness and have a home in heaven with God forever? Have you told them what you believe about the resurrection? That the dead can actually come to life, can rise again. And the hope not only of of the resurrection of Jesus, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, but the hope that we have of a resurrection and living forever in heaven. Have you told them what you believe about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, about the importance of church and and how we are called to strengthen and encourage and help one another? I I saw one of the most amazing uh, uh, pictures of what the church is. Just recently, I was reading a devotional and it said this, airplanes are made out of thousands and thousands and thousands of parts and none of those parts can fly. But you put them all together. Oh man, you put them all together the right way, in order. And you have a machine that can fly and carry cargo and people thousands of miles in the quickest and safest manner that we know as far as travel is concerned today. That's what the church is like. Individually, we're limited, but together, Together, there's no limit on what we can do. Have you told them about what you believe about repentance? That repentance is not a bad thing. That it is a good thing. It's a cleansing for our hearts and souls. Have you told them what you believe about tithing? Because there are people that are just waiting to have the ear of your son or your daughter and say that's just a scheme that some preachers came up with to raise a bunch of money. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, it's important that you are able to share with your children God's plan for how we handle our finances. Because if you don't tell them what God's plan is, guess who will teach them about how to handle their money? Visa. Visa will teach them. MasterCard will teach them. And if you really want financial blessing in your life, you will know and practice God's plan. And I promise you that'll be far better than Visa's plan or MasterCard's plan. Tell them what you believe about baptism, about communion, about the rapture of the church. Tell them one day, one day, we're going to hear a trumpet sound and we're not going to be here anymore. I will have paid my last mortgage, my last car note, cut the grass for the last time. Your mama will have washed the last dirty dish. We will be caught up to be with the Lord and we will be with him forever. Tell them about the reality. It's not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. It is the reality of heaven. That's what the apostle writes in the word. They need to know all of those things. And I would suggest you don't try to cover that all in one evening, but I would suggest that you begin a process, a conversation with them. And, and, you know, some people might say, you know, I wish I'd grown up in a home where my parents had done that. You know, maybe you didn't have that physically when you were a little child, but God saw fit to place you in a spiritual family where you can have that now, where you can be part of a spiritual family where people will talk about those things with you and they will explain them to you and they will help you to understand it. They will put it in language that we can grasp and hold on to. I don't know about you, but I need the simple explanation. I need it explained. I tell people sometimes, explain it to me like you would to a five-year-old because I want to be sure I get it. I want to be sure I grasp the truth. Here's some other things that our kids need to know. You need to tell your kids what you believe about free markets, about private property, 
property, about intellectual property. You need to talk to your kids and let them know what you believe about socialism, about communism, and about capitalism, because that is a conversation that has taken place today in our culture. And it's not just limited to colleges. It's coming all the way down. You need to let them know what you believe about that. And God's word has a lot to say about it. You need to know what you believe about the rule of law. You need to tell your children what you believe about premarital sex. You need to tell your children what you believe about pornography, about drinking alcohol, about smoking dope. Well, that's illegal. Well, it is for now. It is for now, but I don't know how long. You know, it's a sad thing, but I have seen parents that have, that have struggled because the enemy has come to them and pointed his finger and brought guilt and shame on them and said, you, you better not tell your kids not to do any of that because you'll be a hypocrite because you know you did that stuff. You, did, you have no right telling your kids to don't do what you did. And you know, my thought is, what kind of... What kind of love is it that if you're walking through the woods and you fall into a pit of quicksand and you're up to your nose in quicksand, you barely, you claw your way out and and it's not until somebody can grab you and pull you the rest of the way out that you're saying, what kind of love would not tell their descendants where that quicksand is and what it looks like so they could avoid it, so they could get around it? I'm telling you, I didn't do everything just right. I want you to miss it. I want you to not go there. Jesus wants to to help you. Your kids need to know what you believe about homosexual marriage, about abortion, about about all of those things. If you want your kids to follow in your path, they need to know what you believe. And I'm telling you, it will it will have a powerful and lasting impact on their lives. If your children were given an assignment at school, and the assignment was, I want you to write a paper, and uh, I want you to write an essay, and I want you, here's the, the subject. I want you to write what my dad believes. What my dad believes. I want to ask you this, what's the first thing that your kid would put on the paper? What's the first thing that they would say their daddy believes, or their mom? What's the first thing they would put? And if you're not sure what that is, I would suggest you ask them. I, I would say, I'd say, bring that up in conversation one day and use that to begin a conversation that will last for the rest of their days in your home and even beyond where you talk to them about the things of God and the things that are powerful. And I want to tell you that you're not just on your own, just doing the best you can. God has placed you in a church that preaches the word. You can find answers here. That's why you should never miss a service. That's why you should be here, not only on Sunday services, but for the Monday night prayer teaching that Pastor Don does and for every, all the small groups that are going on, because that's where we find these answers to things that we're talking about. And we're working these things out in our own life, our own heart. We're finding the scripture for the basis of what we believe. This is what is called doctrine. The, it's, it's why we believe what, what we believe. These things are important. So again, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my persecutions. You know, there, there, may be, there may be, you know, pressure at some point in time to not tell the truth on your job, to falsify a report, to bend the rules, to cheat a little bit, to leave something out. 
And if you miss a promotion because of that, or if you lose a job because you refuse to compromise, can I tell you it may be disappointing to you at the moment, but that will speak so loudly to your children that my mom and my dad believe some things so deeply, some things are so sacred, some things are so important that they would walk away from a job rather than compromise their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to leave a legacy, I'm telling you, this is, this is a way to do it. I want to close. I just want to turn your attention to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 78. And I want to begin in verse 1. The Word of God says, O oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. They will in turn teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. I don't want to take a long time, but I want to tell you the man that I most want to meet when I get to heaven is a man that I've never met. I don't even know his name, but he's a man who's had an incredible impact on my life. Um, in, in the late 40s, in the late 1940s, I know that he was a cook, I know that he worked on a tugboat, and I know that he was an unashamed Christian. And he was a Christian. He lived out his Christianity to the other crew members on that boat. Sometimes they were receptive, sometimes they were not receptive. But God opened a door of opportunity for him to share with the engineer on that tugboat in the Houston Ship Channel. And one day, one day that engineer expressed a real sincere hunger and desire to know more about this man's faith and to really actually participate in that same faith, to, to have the power to really live it out the way this man did. And that cook invited that engineer, said, if you're really serious and we're not going to stand up and pray, we're going to get down on our knees right here on this deck. And that day in the Houston Ship Channel, that engineer knelt down on that oil-stained deck and prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. That was my grandfather on my father's side. That encounter with the Lord changed his life, transformed him. When he was through with his hitch on the boat, he went home. He told my grandmother, we're going to church. And they found a church in their neighborhood and began to attend. Uh, that my grandparents on my father's side only had one child. My dad was an only child. And, uh, and so because my grandparents were going to church because it was the most wonderful thing that had ever happened in their lives, this relationship with Jesus, my dad was just included in that. You're coming to church with us. And sometime in my dad's uh, adolescent years, probably 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, my dad began to f feeling like he wanted to be a little more independent. My grandparents were at every church service, every time the doors were open. They participated in everything that was going on. They bought in early the truth that they saw in God's word about tithing and about giving offerings above the tithe. And the testimony of all of my grandparents on both sides of my family, my, my father's side and my mother's side, is that through the hard, 
hard years of the Great Depression that neither one of my grandparents were without a job, that they always had a job. This was a time when there were literally tens of thousands of men in the United States that could not find work. There were no jobs. They wanted to work. They would do anything. There were even government programs uh, to help men have some kind of work. But there were many men who would jump on trains. They were called hobos and they would ride from, from one region of the country to another just looking for work. On my mom's side, uh, her family lived not too far from some train tracks in Houston. And it was not uncommon for those hobos to show up occasionally at the back door, knocking and saying, ma'am, do you have some food? Can I have a bite? I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten in the last two or three days. They always had food because both of my grandfathers always had jobs. God can, and I remember them telling me that this was part of God rebuking the devourer and opening the windows of heaven in their lives because of their faithfulness in this area. And God always kept them in jobs and they were able to not only take care of people who showed up at the back door, but also extended family who, who needed extra help. God set them as a beacon in their families of the rewards of serving Jesus and following the, the Lord. So my parent, my grandparents are at church all the time. And my dad begins to feel a little bit independent. And he tells my grandfather, he says, he says, dad, I'd, I'd like to sit with my friends in church. And some of his friends kind of uh, gathered towards the back of the auditorium. And my grandfather said, uh, Donnie, he said, uh, you're, you're a good boy. He said, uh, I want you to know that when I read the word of God, I see that I am responsible for you. I am responsible for you. And because I am responsible for you, I feel like I need to be able to see you. And so I want to know that you are not being distracted. And I want to know that you're in a place where you can pay attention to the truth that's being spoken to us when we come to church. So I'm going to give you the freedom. You can sit anywhere you want in church as long as you sit in front of me. Did I tell you my grandfather sat right there on the second row? Second row. So you can either sit with us or you can sit someplace, any place of your choosing, right in front of me. So I can keep an eye on you. So I can know. And it was because of my grandfather's diligence in being in church, bringing his family to church and being in a place where, being sure that his son was in a place where he could pay attention, that my dad's heart was open when the Holy Spirit fell one day and the Spirit of the Lord called him into full-time ministry. And he, he began to prepare himself for a life of ministry. It was because of that that he found himself at a Bible school, met another young lady from Houston there in Minneapolis in Bible school. And here are two Houstonian kids that meet each other. They fall in love and get married. And then from that marriage comes myself and my brother, two people who were also taught that we're gonna be in church unless we're dying, actively dying, and that we're gonna pay attention to what's going on. It was because of that, that I was in a place to hear the call of God on my life at a certain time in my early teenage years. And God said, I want you. I want you. It was because of that, that I was involved in music ministry and met my wife in music ministry as we traveled all over the United States, ministering in churches in in Europe and here in the United States. And we fell in love and got married. And to our marriage came two daughters and a son that we raised in church. And one of the greatest privileges I ever had in my entire life 
was being able to pray with each of my children individually, personally, and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ and hear them from the bottom of their heart. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to live for you. I want to serve you at young ages. It's because of that that my children grew up and now have children of their own. I cannot tell you what it means to me to see the hand of God upon my grandchildren. I have eight. And see the hand of God on my grandchildren. What a blessing it was when my daughter who lives in Baton Rouge began to send me videos on my phone. She said, Alex's teachers, one of my grandsons, Alex's teachers sent this to me. And it's Alex, my grandson, on a bus, a Greyhound bus with all of his seventh grade class going on a field trip to NASA in Houston. And he's leading them. He's got, he's got the song playing on his phone. And the whole bus, he's leading them in the song. And they're all singing, oh, the reckless love of God, how it chases me down, how it, he sought me, he found me. She sends me another picture of this seventh grader. He has decided he's going to hold a Bible study for the seventh grade boys. And once a week, they skip lunch and meet in a classroom. He's prepared a Bible study, a PowerPoint to go with it. And they end with 23 seventh grade boys holding hands and praying that the Spirit of the Lord would help them and lead them in the path of righteousness. I don't know that that cook could ever have imagined The man he prayed with that day that his grandson would have grandchildren that are involved. What's it say right here? It says, he commanded our ancestors to teach them so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, either physically or maybe spiritually. This is what God has called us to. This is what God has given us an opportunity to be involved in. That we can be involved in reaching out to generations that we have no idea, no idea what God is going to do. God, God's not through with your family. This isn't the end of the book. We're still in the middle of the story. Don't let the devil discourage you. Keep praying, keep believing, keep doing everything you know to do to draw near to Jesus and live with all of your heart, wholeheartedly serve God, wholeheartedly love God. But here we are, we have an opportunity to help, to help Tim Tebow build safe houses, to buy young girls and women out of slavery and put them in a home where they're safe and they can begin to see and experience the love of Jesus to help people who are just desperate, desperate for a change in their life to pay the entrance fee and the transportation and get them to a teen challenge where they can have an encounter with Jesus and their life can be turned around. Where some of those very people that the enemy did his best to destroy them have the call of God on their life and can come back to a place called the retreat right up there close to Opelousas where they can be ministered to, where they can be taught, where they can be trained and spend the rest of their life in in vocational ministry. And then, then there's also, and I just, I love this one. This is so cool. The ACS Creative Ministry Arts. It's taking place right over here. You saw the video last week of kids in our own school 
that are having an encounter with, with, you know, how I can be involved in ministry. Kids who said, you know, I really had no direction, didn't know what I was going to do, but now I feel like I found a purpose. Now I feel like God's put some things inside of me. And you and I are called to take this glorious message of the gospel to the generations not yet born. And again, I want to say that can be physically, that can be spiritually, not yet born. But God has given us this privilege. As Pastor Don shared with you earlier, whether you participate in these things right now with a one-time offering or maybe a, a weekly or monthly offering or however, however you are able to do. I was talking with someone at the end of the first service and they, they talked about how the Lord had, had helped them just week by week, just month by month. And they were able to do more than they ever thought they could just because they trusted God. And they said, Lord, if you'll bring it in, I'll give it to you. And God began to bring it in. And they just began to, to give it right back into the ministry. It was just such an amazing, amazing testimony. But not only is there an opportunity for you to put what you feel God would have you do concerning these things, but there's a place for you to write a prayer request because I'm telling you, this, this is... Uh, this is a church that cares about you and it cares about your family and cares about the things that concern you. And if you need a healing or you need a salvation or you need provision or you need whatever it is, if you will put those needs on that card, I, I guarantee you there are people who know God and who love God who will be praying for those needs in your family and in your life. God's a healer. God's a provider. God is a deliverer. He is. He is. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer right now. Some of you may be here today and you would say, oh, I... I want so much to leave a legacy to my children and to my grandchildren. I want so much to leave a legacy of righteousness and freedom. I, I want to see them spared the ravages of, of addiction and, and all the scary things that are out there in the world. And I want to tell you that God cares about you and about your family, but it starts with you and I having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That relationship starts when I, first off, I, A, admit I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need Jesus. I need him to forgive me, to cleanse me, to give me the power to live a holy and righteous life. The second thing is B, I believe. I believe in the Lord Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that he can do what he said he will do, that he is the Son of God who came in the flesh, died, and was raised again on the third day and that he paid the penalty for all of my sin and all of the accumulated sin of the world and then see that I confess it that means that I say out loud I proclaim that Jesus that I have surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ that he is my Lord my Savior and that I will live my life for him that's where it all starts. That's where it begins. And if you're here today and you've never done that before, I would love to lead you in a prayer and just take you through those steps. You can just pray this prayer out loud where you sit. And I would like to invite everyone in this room to join with us as we pray together, remembering the first time you ever prayed this prayer in your life. Let's pray together right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, 
a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my father. Jesus is my Lord and savior. And the Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.